If you're looking for great Christian content, we want to encourage you to check out peachtreepress.org. Peachtree Press LLC offers digital products, journals, books, Bible study guides, sermon outlines, Christian blogs, and church notebooks for children and adults. Some products are also available as print on demand. Peachtree Press is a sponsor of this program and a partner in offering authentic Christian content. For more information, check out peachtreepress.org. Welcome back, rappers, to our fourth season of the Ray Reynolds Rap Podcast. If you haven't already done it, please hit that subscribe button or follow us for content on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, TikTok, and YouTube. Also, check out our website at rayreynoldsrap.com for sermons, weekly blogs, books, study guides, and lots of free stuff. Thanks again for joining us, and we hope you enjoy today's program. So for the last few weeks as we've been going through these steps of faith, we've recognized a few things. First of all, we started with hearing the gospel. It's important for us when we are learning the truth to pay careful attention. Uh, we've, we've taught our children and hopefully we've taught ourselves to pay close attention to details, to instructions. And God has given us the instructions for salvation in His Word. It's not complicated. In fact, in the Old Testament, many times there were commands that were laid out. Look at the Ten Commandments as an example. Do this and don't do that. Pretty simple. But in order to have a greater understanding of how those can be applied in our daily walk, when you read through the Old Testament, you will see individuals that practiced those things and also some who did not and were punished. So we come to the New Testament... And we have even more examples. Specifically, when it comes to salvation, we have the book of Acts. If you've ever questioned your salvation, or if you've ever wondered what you can do to help others be saved, read the book of Acts. It tells us of so many conversion stories, and the really neat part is if we lay them out on a piece of paper or put them on the screen, we'll see a consistency because God is consistent, He's not the author of confusion. He makes it plain and simple. And he does that in order for us to be able to know exactly what to do. We see so many times throughout the stories of the Bible of people that have messed up. They've done something that they weren't supposed to do and God has had to punish them. And so there's a cycle there of sin and consequences of sin. We'll talk a little bit about that this morning. But it comes from hearing. And then basically, after we hear the gospel, we hear the message of what we need to do to be saved, we have to believe We have to believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of the living God. And we'll have a moment where before we're converted or before we're baptized into Christ that we can actually confess that before people and say, I believe Jesus is the Son of God. But our belief, our faith is one that is active. When we read the book of James, we see that our faith is supposed to be put into action from the very beginning of our salvation is who I am, my identity It's no longer what I've done or what I've accomplished in life, but what Christ is now doing through me. And so our belief, as we said a couple weeks ago, our faith, our foundation begins with hearing and believing. Today we talk about the tough one. I say tough, maybe it wasn't for you, but it is for a lot of people to understand what repentance really means. In order to understand repentance, I want to take us back to the garden in Genesis chapter 3. Now, we've mentioned each week, and I probably will until we conclude this, that in Genesis chapter 3, after the fall of man, God put in place, in verse 15, a promise to the seed of the woman, a promise to humanity, it's why it's written in our Bible, 
that He would provide one through her to save mankind. And that plan of action to send Jesus to the cross is identified in the garden, but it had been planned in advance, knowing that men may sin. And we do. And because of sin, there are consequences. Consequences to sin. I want you to think about not only what is said in Genesis 3 and verse 15, but something else that John the baptizer said as he's out preaching in the wilderness. He talks about repenting for the kingdom of heaven is at hand, or the kingdom of God is at hand. And what he's saying is something is about to happen. Jesus had already been born. They were just a few months apart. They're cousins and storylines there in Scripture. But he is preparing the way for Jesus. He's preaching the gospel, or at least a portion of the gospel, to get people ready for Jesus' preaching and for his ministry. And when he talks to those that are present, remember in, in John's audience would have been some of the worst citizens, I guess, of that time. They were prostitutes and tax collectors and drunkards and heathens, but there were also Pharisees that came to listen. And when John had their ear, he would remind them all that repentance was necessary. And when he had an opportunity to talk specifically to the religious rulers, he says things about hypocrisy. He says things about them being like snakes. Jesus is very clear that the way that they were doing things was not pleasing to God. To repent is to recognize the consequences of sin. Sin is what nailed Jesus to the cross. Sin is what keeps us from God. Hell is a separation from God. It is a consequence of sin for all those who are unwilling to repent, unwilling to change their ways to become more like Jesus. We use the term conversion for a reason. If you've ever been out of the country, I was teaching the teenagers uh, at Snook last week, and I told them when we went to Canada, it was interesting that they don't, they don't use, or not frequently use, the one and two dollar bills. They use loonies and toonies. Anybody, anybody ever been to Canada? You know what I'm talking about? All right. It's like Looney Tunes, right? I could remember that. So... They have the loonies and the toonies, and I believe if I'm, if I'm saying it correctly, the toonie is the one that has basically two coins in one. One is a copper, and the other is a metal, a different kind of metal. And so when you go to Canada or when you go to another country, you have to convert your money. You have to change your money in order to walk in their country and to be able to do anything you have to go through the conversion process. See, the world operates on a different economy. The world operates on a different set of values. And when we decide to convert to Christianity, when we decide to follow Jesus, we change a lot of who we are and what we do. And the reason why, again, is because we know the consequences of our sins, of our actions. Repentance is recognizing that what I have done not only is harmful to me and harmful to others, but it is harmful to the kingdom of God. God wants us to be more like Jesus. That's why he sent Jesus 
to the earth, not just to die for humanity, but to set for us a pattern and an example. Peter talks about this in 1 Peter 5, that we might be able to have some pattern to follow. And if we know one thing about Jesus, it's he talked frequently about sin and the consequences of sin. Number two, with those consequences, there are wages that need to be paid. You're probably familiar with Romans 3.23 and 6.23 that teach us that the wages of sin is death. The gift of God is eternal life. We probably are familiar with the passages that teach us about how those wages have to be paid. I think it's interesting when you read Matthew chapter 6, how does Jesus describe the need for forgiveness? He talks about the debt of sin. If you've ever found yourself in so much debt before, financial debt before, it literally will choke you. You get so anxious and so stressful. In fact, and I know I'm talking to some that completely understand this, you dread the walk to the mailbox. Are you with me? You dread the walk to the mailbox. You dread that automatic draft that you agreed to to come out of your checking account. And when you go to purchase groceries, which has happened to me before, they say, sorry, you don't have enough in your account. What do you do? Well, the wages of sin is death, and a debt has to be paid. The consequences of our sin is death. We, just like every other human that's walked the face of this earth, deserve to die because we sin. But Jesus steps in and takes our place. To pay a debt that literally would have been impossible for us to get correct. But Jesus has taken the place, he's taken the consequences, and he has paid the debt of sin that I owe. And the really crazy part is even though I decide I want to follow Jesus and I'm immersed in the blood of Christ and baptism and I I confessed him and I believe in him and I, I say I want to repent, I will sometimes, we all do, go back to things that we used to do and we say, I don't want to do that. I don't want to be like that. We're supposed to change. We're supposed to be different. Number three is the weight of sin. The weight of sin is a heavy Heavy burden. The weight of sin is what causes the frustration and the stress and the anxiety. Whenever someone comes to me and says, I'm really struggling with something, I say, tell me about it. Talk about it. Open your mouth. Say it. Speak it. Confess it. Because if you will confess your sin, it takes a weight off of your shoulders. And it feels so much better. I know this is kind of a, maybe a disgusting analogy, but you know when you're sick, if you'll just sometimes let it out, okay, you don't want to, you dread it, but you know you might feel better if you did it. When it comes to sin, if you don't say your sin, if you don't name the demon you're wrestling with, if you don't confess the fault between you and God, the weight still rides on your shoulders. You still have this worry that maybe I'm not forgiven. Maybe I'm still holding on to this. Maybe maybe God hasn't forgiven me of that. And if you feel that, if you feel the weight of sin, this morning you need to drop it at the foot of the cross. 
And if you're still doing things that you know you're supposed to repent of, you're still doing things that you know you're supposed to change, lay it at the foot of the cross this morning. The weight is unbearable. It's the reason why Jesus says in Matthew in chapter 11, why don't you take my burden and I'll take yours. My burden is light, he says. Number four, God hates sin. He hates it. Hate's a strong word, isn't it? It's a word that we don't like to talk about unless we're dealing with something in our own life. We say, well, I really hate this or I don't like this. But I can tell you this morning, if you've read God's Word, you know God hates sin. He can't stand to look on the face of sin. Sin is what separates us from God. And so because that separation exists, whereas from the garden, He didn't want it to exist. He created a perfect paradise that we could enjoy fellowship together and that we could commune with God anytime we would like. But because of our sin, the sin of Adam and those of us since then, we keep doing some of the same things and that sin separates us from God. So God hates it. God does not want His children to engage in sinful activity. And he, it's for several reasons. It's not just about eternal life. That's the biggie, right? But He wants us to get away from sin because He knows what it does to our soul. It rots us from the inside out. You know, Paul talks about in 1 Corinthians about how some things we do on the outside of our body, we punish our body, which is supposed to be the temple of the Holy Spirit. But he also says in, in uh, Philippians chapter 4 that we're supposed to be able to change the way we think. He says, think on these things, verses 8 and 9. Think on positive things. It's being rotten from the inside out if we hold on to sin and God hates it. Number five, you probably knew this would be the one after. He hates the sin, but he loves the sinner. He loves you no matter where you are. But I tell you this morning that God has rules and commands for a reason. For protection. To keep us holy, he says, stay away from these things. Now, there are some sins that it's just simply said, don't do it. Others, he tells Timothy, I want you to run, you know, like Usain Bolt, out of here, you know, get out of here as fast as you can. But God loves the sinner. He just doesn't want us to stay that way. He doesn't want us to stay in sin because He knows the consequences of sin. And the more that we're near it, the more we flirt with it, the more we, we, we pet it, it becomes to have control over our life. God loves us. He's not willing that any should perish. 2 Peter 3.9 Number six, godly sorrow is what produces repentance. I kind of... Hit it on this, I think it was Wednesday night, maybe it was Sunday night uh, last week. Godly sorrow, Paul says in 2 Corinthians 7.10, godly sorrow produces repentance. And there is a vast difference between being sorry because of the consequences, or being sorry because of the pain, or being sorry because of the stress and anxiety it has now brought into my life, not being sorry that I got caught and I had to, I had to say I, I did this. 
But godly sorrow means I'm sorry to God for what I've done. A moment like David has when Nathan confronts him and he says, I have sinned. A moment where of clarity that you realize this is not what I'm supposed to be doing. I remember times in my youth that even though my parents weren't there, I was still afraid to do something because I thought they'd find out. Y'all with me? I had this weird feeling that my mother, because I know she could see out the back of her head, you know, she, she was able to see things. She was able to know things. I had no clue how she figured it out. But I was, I was paranoid anywhere that I went that when somebody was doing something wrong, that if I engaged in that behavior, I was going to be dead when I got home, you know? Somebody standing out at the edge of the road with a switch. Or if my grandpa was watching me, he'd say, pick your switch. Well, that was rough. But there's consequences to our actions. And being sorrowful for repentance purposes means that I am sorry to God for what I have done. That I have been conflicted. And I have been, I've been frustrated that now I know what God has required of me and I haven't done it. I, I, I know that to be here, the words, I'm disappointed in you. Man, that's, that's tough to hear from somebody. I'm disappointed in you. I'm disappointed in your behavior. I'm disappointed in what you've said or what you've done. That hurts. And it hurts God when we make those mistakes. But godly sorrow is when I say, God, I am so sorry. I, I, am, I am sorry in my heart. I've watched people claim to repent and go right back to the same lifestyle. There has to be a godly sorrow that produces the repentance. You know, James says it like this, if you'll draw near to God, He will draw near to you. If you will get closer to God in prayer, if you will engage in a study of God's Word, if you will spend time in communion, if you will spend time in fellowship with God and you draw near to Him, He will draw closer to you. And the closer you get to a holy God, the more likely you are to repent of sin. When we get involved in things that we shouldn't, it's usually because of an influence of someone else. Maybe somebody's provoked us. Maybe someone has challenged us. Maybe, maybe we've seen something on television or we've heard something and we, we let those things get into our mind and then they convince us that we can do that. And then we, oh no, I shouldn't have done that. And then we come back to God and say that we're sorry. Godly sorrow is choosing not to pick that sin up again. Back some years ago, I preached a sermon in Gulf Shores and I had my middle son, Seth, I had placed bricks all around the front of the pulpit. And each of those bricks represented some kind of a sin. And I loaded his backpack with all of these sins. And I made him walk all the way down to the bridge at the Intercoastal Waterway and walk back. It was a long walk. And when we came back, I asked the question, what are you going to do with the sin? What are you going to do? You would carry it. You're supposed to be a New Testament Christian. We're supposed to let go of all that stuff. What are we supposed to do? And he takes the backpack off and he throws it into the baptistry. You see, church, this is where sin belongs. It needs to be buried. 
It needs to be gone because I know the consequences of it for me and I know that my behavior might influence someone else. As a matter of example, I was a youth minister at a church for some time. We had a young man who was graduated out of the youth group about four years. He wasn't going to college. He was working uh, another job there in town. And he posted on his Facebook page a picture of him at a party, and there was alcohol present. He has alcohol in his hand. And I just happened to be with a couple preachers when I saw it was scrolling through, and my jaw dropped. And a friend of mine said, what is it? And I said, well, I'll show you, but, and I showed him the picture. I said, this is one of my chaperones for the Six Flags trip, you know. And he says, well, he's just keeping it real. He's just keeping it real. I said, what is that supposed to mean? He says, well, he's just saying this is who he is, accepted or not. And I said, well, he's supposed to be an example for our youth group. I can't let him go on this trip. Mom wasn't very happy. He wasn't very happy. But I told him, I said, what you're doing, even though you're of age, is you're setting an example for those that are under you. What I did not know, church... What I did not know is that he'd already been selling alcohol to some of our underage kids in that youth group. One of them was caught at school with it. Where did you get it? She named his name. When we choose to engage in sinful activity, and we choose not to repent, and we choose to live in that situation, there are other people around us that are also involved in that activity, that see it, that witness it, that think, well, maybe if he does it or she does it, then it's okay for me to do it. And I told that young man, I said, you need to let go of this sin. You need to get rid of it. You need to find some help. You're a young man. you got a long life to live. And setting such a terrible example for those within the church. And he did repent. He said he was sorry. The text we read earlier in Luke chapter 17 says, If he repents, forgive. Because the power of repentance, a godly sorrow that produces repentance, the power of that is to say, I don't want to do it again. I don't want to do it again. Problem is, we will say that. We'll say, I don't want to do this. I don't want to engage in this sin. But we will go right back to that sin and we will pick it right back up where we left it. And we need to lay it at the foot of the cross. We need to leave it in the watery grave of baptism. And we do not need to pick up that sin again. Because number seven, repentance requires real change. Real change. In the bulletin, you might notice that it says 1 John 1, 7 dash. And I didn't have the last number there of 10. That's because depending on time, I might go another hour. I just didn't make it on the sheet. But Romans 12, 1 and 2 are my favorite verses in the New Testament. Where Paul tells his audience there in Rome, I, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And then he says, and do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Change is me saying, I know where I was headed, and so therefore I'm not going to do those things 
Because I want to get to heaven instead, I've got to pick up some other things. Holiness, sacrifice, faithfulness. Active faith requires a real change. In John, he talks about a continual cleansing. A continual cleansing. You know, we're all sinners. We make mistakes. We do things that we're not supposed to do. But the great thing is that God's forgiveness is comprehensive. Now, I say this to you this morning. If you have any apprehension whatsoever of something you're, you're currently involved in or you have been involved in the past, you can be forgiven. You can. It doesn't matter what you've done. You can be forgiven. The blood of Jesus Christ cleanses sin. I'm a sinner. If His blood cleanses me, I am saved. But as a Christian, I ought to know the differences between what I used to do and now what I need to do to be like Jesus. How did Jesus walk? How did Jesus talk? Where did Jesus go? What did Jesus say? If I'm modeling my life after Christ, I'm listening to His words, I'm thinking about His actions, and I'm recognizing that if He had sinned in any way, the consequences would we would still be lost. But He lived a perfect life. And my challenge to you this morning is to let go of the things that are weighing you down and bring about a real change in your life that people can visibly see that you are not who you used to be, that you have laid aside the weight and the guilt of sin and you do not want to carry that any longer. Lay it down at the foot of the cross. It's not worth bearing. It's not worth keeping. Now, once you get your hand again, you know where we're going. Put your hand up. All right. If we want to be saved, we've got to hear the gospel, right? Got to hear the gospel message. Upon hearing the gospel message, we then believe that Jesus is the Son of God. We believe in the New Testament. We believe in the things that Jesus has taught us regarding the commands of living. And based upon that belief that He is the Son of God, we then, number three, there's that word repent. We want to change to be more like Jesus. Based upon our repentance, then we confess. Here's this one, all right? I'm going to confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. I'm going to say that publicly. I'm going to let people know that I believe it and live it. And based upon that confession, I go down into the watery grave of baptism, right? I am cleansed of my sins and washed away, and then I live faithfully with God. Those are the things that are necessary to ensure salvation. This morning, God loves you. He loves the sinner, but He cannot stand sin. If you are not a New Testament Christian, if you've never put on Christ in baptism, or at some point in your life, in your past, you said, I need to be baptized, and now you've read the Scriptures and you've said this isn't consistent with what the New Testament church teaches. This isn't consistent with what the Bible says about salvation. This opportunity is for you this morning. That's why we offer it. We don't do it because we just think it's neat. We don't do it just to be able to do for show. We offer the invitation to help you to overcome your sin and lay it at the foot of the cross. So if you need to be baptized this morning, do not wait until this afternoon. Do not wait until tomorrow. Do not wait because we don't know the hour Jesus is coming. And if you are in Christ and you have been baptized, but you're living in a sinful lifestyle or you've done something you're so overwhelmed by the guilt of and the weight of sin, would you lay that down today? Could we pray for you? It doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter the sins that you've committed. You can come and you confess it and then don't pick it up again. 
leave it there, and walk in a new life with Christ Jesus. Thank you for tuning in to today's broadcast. Be sure to subscribe and follow us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, TikTok, and YouTube. Also, visit our website at rayreynoldsrap.com. If you'd like to contribute to the show, content suggestions, uh, questions, prayer requests, or even if you just want to reach out to us, you can email us at rayreynoldsrap at gmail.com. Have a great day as you seek to maintain an authentic life in Christ Jesus. To help you in your study of the Bible, we want to send you this Bible Correspondence Course. This course is non-denominational. It's based on the Bible. It's conducted by mail, and it's free. To receive this course, write to Getting to Know Your Bible, P.O. Box 314, Somerdale, Alabama, 36580, or call toll-free 1-877-711-5214.